Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. Welcome back. Hopefully it's not feeling too hot in the room where you are. Hopefully you have not warmed the <laughs> sub-climate climate zone of your room. Is that analogy working for you? Yeah, sure. Okay. We're gonna, uh, <laughs> let's roll with it then. The reason I am referring to the climate is because you, listener, have chosen a book recommendation episode. And so the purpose of today's episode is to recommend the book. It's a nonfiction collection of, kind of essays or articles called Field Notes from a Catastrophe by Elizabeth Colbert. And we're going to be discussing and recommending that book to you today, attempting to persuade you to read it with us. As I mentioned, we are the Lightly Literary Podcast. We have social media feeds that we'd kindly ask you to follow. Uh, we're on Facebook and at Instagram, and we are at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word, so easy to remember and follow. Also, if you found this podcast and you enjoy it, rate and review us on wherever you found us. We're up on Spotify and iTunes and all the typical places that podcasts are found and bartered these days. This will be, as I mentioned, a book recommendation episode, which means we will not be spoiling things, at least not in too much depth. We'll try and refrain from... I don't know if you can spoil climate science. Can you, Amanda? I don't know. Is that... I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> it's always awkward talking about spoilers and non-spoilers with non-fiction. We will be discussing the book not in a ton of depth or detail, I suppose is what I'm saying. These episodes are meant to be under 30 minutes and will be a light recommendation of the work, and so we're just going to be persuading you to read it with us over the course of the next two weeks. I chose this book, so Amanda, do you want to set up the prompt you gave me to, that I picked it under? Yeah. Um, I said to choose a book that explores some kind of corruption that you would like to see rooted out. Yes. So corruption I just interpreted as some kind of world or social ill, and I think that the, not negligence too, but certainly apathy and slow inaction or rather inaction toward climate change was the and do you think it fits for corruption i don't know if it does but definitely if it's corruption it's in a core human psychological way or maybe in the roots of our political system it's not it itself is not rotten or it's not about some human i don't know for some reason corruption just doesn't sound right but i picked it anyway because i'm a renegade (laughs) the bad boy of the (laughs) podcast i guess but it it does seem to fit though i think yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I think it, so. Hopefully it fit what you were aiming for when you assigned the prompt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something Fantastic. that you w- wanted to see a change in, so it's good. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to f- rephrase it, too. Reword your own prompt. Yeah. I appreciate it. Teacher, you got teacher brain, <laughs> rewording things for the student on the fly. <laughs> I'll read briefly here from the cover, just to give, again, you a sense of the book's kind of topic, and then we'll jump into our first segment. So from the cover, it reads, Elizabeth Colbert's environmental classic, Field Notes from a Catastrophe, first developed as a groundbreaking National Magazine award-winning three-part series in the New Yorker magazine. Colbert expanded those pieces into a still concise yet richly researched and damning book about climate change, a primer on the greatest challenge facing the world today, and I agree with a lot of those sentiments. Let's jump into our first segment then, which will be rapid-fire recommendations. This is when Amanda and I bounce some descriptions of the book, or who would like it, off of each other. We'll keep it brief, we'll keep it to the point. Amanda, who should read this book? Um... So, if you enjoy reading about experiments, because there are a lot of them. Yeah, (laughs) the science, right? We should probably start here. You chose a good one to start with. She does not shy away from the science. In fact, I think some of her best writing is in delivering science to 
let's say, a thoughtful but not educated reader like myself. I don't have any advanced knowledge past high school level of scientific topics, really. And uh, I found myself understanding most of it. So <laughs> if not, you know, <laughs> yep, the vast majority. Too. So it's science heavy for sure, but she makes it relatable. So I think that's a good one. Uh, I think you should read this book if you don't believe in man-made climate change. Yes, uh, that's actually part of her her purpose in writing this. She actually states that she would love to be able to persuade people. So For sure. Yeah. Can you imagine, uh, do we have many climate skeptics that listen to this, do you think? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, you should read this book if you enjoy analogies. Oh, yeah. I hadn't looked at yours beforehand, so I'm not sure how to react in the moment. I'm trying to think back of if I have a favorite analogy. She definitely compares time periods with a lot of coherence and makes i think she tries to translate science in that way where she'll she uses pre-industrial a lot as a point of comparison that's not really an analogy i know but it's that's what's coming to my mind and so yeah and her writing style is very readable and so i think if if we use your example as a stand-in for that she does make it easy to understand yeah i think you should read this book if you enjoy quirky people oh yeah i love the um so quirky in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the scientists can be quite quirky, especially some of their the analogies that I mentioned. Uh, I love the mm-hmm. scientists when they when they have analogies because it's kind of oh. funny in a lot of ways. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should read this book if you'd like to learn more about climate change. Yeah, it's a great primer. We we talk in the book club episodes. If you do listen to us work through those. I think a lot of this climate science in a broad way has crept into the just popular uh, kind of societal knowledge in the last decade or so, but it is great technical analyses and thorough breakdowns, great overviews. So mm-hmm. yes, if you just want to know the basics and want to seem kind of learned on the topic even, it's a great start. Yeah. I think you should read this book, If You Don't Mind Crossing Paths, with a graph or two. Yes, there are several graphs, and um, there. But I think that they're pretty easy to read. So if you're not somebody who is scientific-minded, like me, uh, I am not. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I could understand the graphs. Yeah. Um, you should read this um, if you need some proof that people are adaptable. It's true. There are two chapters. One in Burlington, Vermont, and one in, is it Denmark? Off the coast of... Denmark? Yeah, Denmark. That's Denmark? What it is. And the other one, one's in Denmark and one's in the Netherlands? Right. The floating houses? Yeah. So, yeah, we won't say too much more, I suppose. No spoilers. <laughs> Whatever that means. But, yeah, there are a good number of examples. She, I wouldn't say she's positive, glowingly positive, but she... She doesn't ever profile a person who is denying it and is, like, protesting climate conferences. She profiles people who are adapting and trying to help. (laughs) That's her focus, which I think is the right thing. So Yeah. I think you should read this book if you prefer your panic alarms delivered in a calm whisper tone. I love that. That's so perfect. She's, yeah, so she definitely stresses the dire situation that we're all in, Uh, but... She is not overly aggressive about it and and 
and she does still maintain kind of an optimistic mm-hmm. overall tone. So um, I said you should read this book if you like reading articles. Yeah, <laughs> probably the biggest compliment we paid it is that each chapter is very digestible, but also thorough enough that after you read one, you might just think, you know, I really accomplished something today by reading that, and I'm more knowledgeable than I was before, and I'm just going to put this down for today. <laughs> and I think right. that's a really healthy way to read this book. I don't think it it doesn't get its hooks in you in the page-turning sense, but also each chapter has a pretty clear idea. It lays out a thesis or a, something to aim for and, and talk about. I guess I'm complimenting it in the most generic terms in that sense, but it just feels concise. Each point is well said, and it's thorough enough that, again, when you get to the end of one chapter, you'll feel like you've digested a pretty thoughtful article, and then it's good to pause. Yeah. So, very healthy way to read it. Okay, with the rapid-fire recommendations out of the way, let's get to the reading similes, Amanda. Each of us pulled a, now have a more descriptive way to describe this book and talk about it. We're going to compare it to reading something else. I will go first, because I think I made you go first just then. You did. So, I'm going back to the rapid-fire that I just used on this one. My reading simile is, reading this is like listening to a person, and hopefully, for whatever reason... This is consensual, let's say, and that they have a mouth covered with a rag, right? <laughs> let's <laughs> let's say that it's part of a fun game you're playing with them, uh, where in their eyes you see some kind of panic, but like you don't, your initial reaction isn't to scream out alongside them, and it won't make you jump. I don't know if this analogy makes sense now that I read it back. Maybe I'm going to cut this whole simile. <laughs> maybe I'll keep it. What did I mean by this? I'm reading this now, and I'm like, who wrote this? <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> Hold on. I have to reread this again. I might keep this whole thing, and this is hilarious. What, what was I talking about? I think I get the point I was making, but I don't. Huh. I have no clue what I mean by this. Let me just say this. I think what I meant is this. <laughs> my my horribly calculated simile, really nonsensical. This is like all-time awful. I don't even know what I wrote. That sentence, those sentences make no sense. I feel like I missed a noun or something. I think there's a noun That's missing. so great. Yeah. How bizarre. <laughs> the point was going to be this. You, It's a feeling of terror. I think dread would be the better word. I, I don't think she wants you to kind of cry out in concern. And it's not like it's a... It's frightening, but in a low, very low hum, low frequency frightening. Again, I think maybe dread then is the perfect word for it. So I think that's the feeling at least I had while reading it. And you're totally right. She's reasonable, hopeful, gives people concrete ideas. But to me, I think that the reading felt like kind of just a really low frequency dread. And so it's not mm-hmm. not going to make you jump out of your seat, but it that feeling is present throughout, I think is what I meant. Um Though I have to say, I, I believe a third party got access to this document and wrote that. Because I have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> no clue. I don't even know how that relates back to the rapid fire. What did I say that was like that? The uh, the panic alarms? I don't... The... Anyway. Delivered in a calm whisper, perhaps? I suppose. I suppose. I don't know how that connects to this at all. Hopefully everything else is more coherent. <laughs> so anyway, Amanda, that's my simile. Please don't react to it. Just tell us yours. <laughs> That's so great. Um, <laughs> it started out a little, little dicey there. I love it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So. I don't. It's, it's a strange <laughs> sentence. I don't. I feel like I was in a fever dream when I wrote that, or I was doing some fan fiction for Saw. I don't know. <laughs> what is? 
I truly have no idea who wrote that or when. I uh, makes no sense. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, I said that uh, reading this is like getting into your major coursework in college, your junior and senior years. It's hyper focused on a topic of your the topic of your major, and there's some potentially difficult ideas that are broken down and compared to more mundane ideas. And it's enjoyable because you're learning about something that's interesting to you. Hmm. I like that. Do you think your assembly holds up well, considering that we both liked and understood the book and we did not take the studies deep? <laughs> Neither of us <laughs> d- took our scientific studies deep <laughs> or far. We did not, but she did it for us. And totally. I really appreciate it. It's that. very thorough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a perfect simile for the thoroughness. No question. She She knows the right experts to talk to and can distill their thoughts, I think, well. Yes. Definitely. All right, let's move on to a scripted pitch, which, man, I can't wait to see what this has in store for me. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, this is a 200-word or so scripted pitch where we each try and convince you another way to read the book with us and try and persuade you to read along. So we've prepared these in advance. Amanda, why don't you go first, and I'll read mine in the meantime and find out what the hell's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... You don't have to believe in climate change to feel like you've gotten something out of reading this. In fact, if you're someone who doesn't believe in global warming or who is just not quite sure, there's a lot of information that Colbert presents via graphs, testimonials from a variety of scientists and experiments of all sorts that could give you some new fodder for thought. If science isn't normally your thing, don't worry. This is still a great read. Yes, there is a lot of science, but the science is presented through analogies and is broken down, though not oversimplified, so that even an English major can understand. If you're still wary of how much science is in the book, well, perhaps the ways that some governments are preparing for climate change will pique your interest. Colbert works hard to make this book both scientific and humanistic. It's optimistic overall, even as she stresses the dire need for addressing global warming. It's a surprisingly quick and usually easy read, especially if you approach each chapter as an article. Very well said. Lots to unpack there that I like. Yeah, it's neither of us, again, took our scientific studies very far, and I found this quite approachable. (laughs) There were maybe only two to three moments where I had to do some rereading or at least slow myself down and try and understand something a little more thoroughly and Mm -hmm. the quotes that she gets from scientists directly are also very interesting often measured but then can be alarmist too so i just think she must have hung around you know you get the feeling that she must have really poked and prodded and tried to get the most lucid explanations from them Mm -hmm. so yeah i thought that was pretty strong to see excellent okay my scripted pitch is coherent I also wrote it today, nice. so I, I would hope. I had no clue when I wrote that other thing at all. Good grief. Anyway, just want the specter haunting the podcast now for the rest of the episode. Okay, this is my scripted pitch for this book. I think that this book was conceived of and published in or around 2006 is an important fact to start with because the proliferation of knowledge and opinions about climate science and, and man-made climate change, no matter how casual or slight your knowledge of this topic might be, has been fairly profound since then. Like, this is pro- has proliferated. And so given that we've done things like the Paris Climate Accords, there's been a million documentaries and nature series focusing on this. There's There have been mass global protests about it. There's unusual and un- unpredictable weather events that, have, that people are now linking to climate change in the news. 
I just think we're rather inundated with things about this if you've been paying attention. So I think, let me give my most sober book review yet. If you have absorbed or participated in any of the things I just said, as I think I have and I know you've paid attention to, then I actually don't think this book is required reading. It's really just not. It's interesting reading. It's helpful reading, clarifying reading, but not required. Essentially, Colbert and journalists and scientists like her, they've done their job of justification and provocation for 20 or so years. So, uh, you know, maybe their work will be too little too late, but and then the book kind of maybe makes that point in some ways. But I do think that work has been laid Still, though, so that's my kind of just clear-eyed review, but I think there are plenty of reasons to read it. It's, it is, itself is a clear-eyed volume of what amounts to interrelated science and sociology articles, and it's got a total New Yorker tone and voice and register to it, so it's, I found, very readable but thoughtful. The science itself is bleak but understandable, so congrats to her on that. That's probably the biggest accomplishment of the whole book, is that it's those two things. The experts are quirky and they're very reasonable. The human response is depressing at this point. Again, well-known and predictable to people who've been paying attention. I don't think that every person needs to punish his or herself constantly by bearing witness to this catastrophe on the page, uh, this collapse of human capability and reason and problem solving. So it's just, if you don't need that for 280 pages, then and you're already aware and doing things and everything else, I think that that's understandable. But I do think that if you want a little bit of education and you want to be a bit more maybe alarmed and also be aware of solutions and things people have implemented, then it is a fascinating look, and I think it's really well written. So that's my review. I'm it's A weird pitch because I don't know how persuasive that is. <laughs> I, I think it's it's good. Um, that's good of you to to point out that if you already believe in a lot of this stuff that this is not required reading but that it is still interesting yes very much and you can believe in this stuff and you can have like general news understand like when the news covers things you can have a general understanding of this stuff but this book really dives into specific experiments and specific scientific thought that goes into it and it really helps to bolster um, the the argument that that climate change is real. So if you want information to to back up your beliefs, mm-hmm. this is a great book. If you want information to see the if you are not a believer and and you want to see you know what the fuss is about, this is a good book for you. And and if yeah. you have no idea either way, this is a good book for you. So yeah. Yeah, as always, I want to encourage everyone to, I think we pick books really well, and that's kind of the project here anyway, and we (laughs) we guide people along and we do critical thinking, and so I would never do a review not to read with us. I would say, and I guess the reason I wrote it that way in that tone with those ideas in there, I just think if you're all in and you're even engaged in trying to deal with this or solve climate change or do your part or whatever level of that, I almost just think go find a book about stuff to do then is I guess my feeling. It's like if you're going to dedicate a book reading's worth of time and energy, then go find a book that's like, hey, what policy should we be promoting? What should I do at my house? Like what can I – what car should I be driving or what should I do about my car? How many times should I fly per year? How Like – I don't know. And she addresses a lot of that stuff, to be fair. So it's, I would never recommend not reading it. But I just think that if you're all in and you know a ton of facts and you keep up with it and all that, I just don't know. This book does have a good amount of doom to it, even if it's low energy doom. 
I just don't know if that's going to be what some people need. And so it is really well written though. And I, and really has some fascinating topics in it. That's just anyway, that I would just reiterate that. And that's kind of, I guess where I'm coming from too, in these more practical recommendation episodes, it does almost feel like a product thing where I have to, you have to think about their time. You know, it's like, how how can we hit your time value quotient the best? Like, where are you going to get the most out of your time reading a book, dedicating yourself to a whole book? And I think that there's tons of value in this one, but I just could see a really active and engaged person getting more out of maybe another another volume focus on a different project. But the science here is cool and interesting, and and I learned a lot, and I would say I'm pretty well informed. So, yeah, 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 definitely. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Final segment then to try and persuade you to listen along and read along with us for the next two weeks will be the quote for clarification. Each of us is going to pull one quote from the book, try and give you a sense of the style and the writing, and just talk through what it represents. Amanda, why don't you start us off? Sure. I pulled my quote from page 278. It says, just about everywhere there are possibilities for generating energy more inventively and using it more intelligently. Realizing these possibilities will require a great deal of effort. We may well decide not to make this effort. Such a choice to put off change, however, will mil- will merely drive us toward it. Uh, this is the last sentence of the book. Um, oh. And it's also the last sentence of the last added article to yeah. the book. Um, so the third part. <clears throat> it reads like an article. So this this quote is very much like what you would read at the end of an article um and it also shows some optimism which is her overall kind of tone of like there's still hope guys like don't think it's over yet you can still make a change but it also shows the inevitability of inaction she specifically talks about inaction versus um so you can believe but because you are you know, weighted down with like how dire the situation seems, you, you might not act. Um, and, and also she talks about people who don't believe or who maybe like believe, but they're like, well, the economy is more important. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So the inevitability, the, the idea that inaction, not doing something is just as bad as contributing, actively contributing to, to the problem. Um, so this is like a, a general theme that goes on in several of her chapters yeah. that I picked up on. Definitely. I like that quote too. I'm, I appreciate that you chose it from the end and it hits the right tone, I think too. Yeah. A neutral devastation of a sort or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I chose a quote from 137 about, um, I believe this, the, not a theorist or scientist, Sokolow, who the wedges, the wedge guy. <laughs> anyway, a, a person who did some studies and concluded some things. Anyway, this is about what he learned. Looking at these figures, Sokolow reached a couple of conclusions right away. And his second was that to meet an emissions target, emissions growth would have to be essentially held to zero. Stabilizing CO2 emissions would be such an enormous undertaking that he decided to break the problem down into more manageable blocks, which he called stabilization wedges. And then it goes on to describe them. And then at the end, this is, I think, is the most important conclusion here. They published their article in Science and received a great deal of attention. The paper was at once upbeat. Humanity already possesses the fundamental scientific, technical, and industrial know-how to solve the carbon and climate change for the next half century, it declared, and deeply sobering. There is no easy wedge, is how Sokolow put it to me. 
couple of reasons to choose this one. One, it includes the relevant quotes from experts. She does that so well throughout. Very well researched, very thorough. Pulls the pertinent information, the stuff you'd want to know. Secondly, she's able to, again, I, the way she must interview them is to get them to be very clear in their phrasing and wording. Because ending with his quote about that is about as, that's kind of the tone of the whole book, is sort of, we are presented with a couple of options. No, the solutions are not easy options or maybe pleasant or however you want to phrase it, but it's not totally impossible and it's not even out of reach. It's all about motivation and implementation and getting those things to align, basically, and trying to take big chances and take big risks and try things. And so I just, I, I don't think the book... I don't know. I guess the book is a Rorschach test then because I didn't think it was as hopeful as you did, but that's just our attitudes. <laughs> so I just, I don't know then. It's kind of, we, we pulled out what we wanted to see, but no, I think I do agree with you in the end that it's almost every person she talks to, almost every problem or topic she dives into comes with some kind of notice or warning or idea about what could be done or attempts that could potentially lead to good outcomes. And so... I think this quote saying that very simple thing at the end, you know, it's we have the technology, there is no easy wedge. And in fact, those wedges are, you know, pretty ambitious things to try and curb emissions. Anyway, so I thought that quote, the style of it and the ideas was represents a lot of what happens in the book. For sure. And I think the um, the fact that he he points out that we already have the technology available and that if we implement those technologies those technologies will only get better over time which will make things more efficient anyway mm -hmm. right there's that hope that i that i've noticed is like yeah we already can do it we just need to do it well in the double edge of the we didn't hit on this theme surprisingly in what we talked about but we we discussed it a lot in the book club if you join us for those adventures but a lot of the points in these chapters come back to exponential and compounding types of logic where if you put something off or don't do it, or like you just said, if you do do it, you will benefit in a compounding exponential way that it will only grow and grow at a rapid rate. And that can be for the good or the ill. It depends on what you decide to do or not do. And these things, these problems will only become compounding or the solutions could potentially compound too, where it's if you dedicate a massive effort to implementing new energy sources surely some inventions will get made surely some innovations will come about surely some efficiencies will be discovered so it's it just kind of depends on what sacrifice you want to take and when and it's whether it's worth it i don't know what else could be worth it more i, <laughs> I don't know anyway an yeah. important logic save the earth guys Jeez, <laughs> yeah, we're all just reduced to speaking like 1970s cliched hippies i suppose in the, in the end <laughs> Mother Gaia, please protect us. Yeah. <laughs> as we eliminate your bounty. Um, any final thoughts on the quotes or anything else? Any any similes you want to come up with off the cuff here, Amanda, just to close out the pod? <laughs> Some kind of bondage uh, or no, BDSM? No, I'm good. You covered okay. that really well. <laughs> uh -huh. Totally, yeah. I'm out here on the, on the cliff's edge. I'm out here on the edge, that's for sure. 
Oh, good gravy. Okay. Well, that is our pitch for reading Field Notes from a Catastrophe by Elizabeth Colbert. We'll be covering that for the next two weeks on the podcast. We do hope you read along or at least listen along as we analyze that book. We do have other books coming up in order if we did not persuade you. And they are three novels in a row, which is kind of back to our usual grind on this on this podcast. <laughs> it's our sweet spot, I think. Anyway, those three novels coming up are Burnt Shadows by Camilla Shamsey, True Grit by Charles Portis, and Homegoing by Yag Yassi, uh, last name on that one spelled G-Y-A-S-I, because I haven't looked up the pronunciation yet, so apologies on that. Um, for the first episode, thanks for putting that in, Amanda. For the first episode yeah. on Field Notes, by the way, which will be out this Friday when you're listening to this, we're going to cover chapters one through seven. And for book clubs, we always do the first half of the book. So, Any final notes, Amanda, on this one or thoughts? Nope, I'm good. Excellent. Yeah, well covered and well said. Only one of us uh, had a total mental spasm today, so <laughs> going to go sleep that one off. <laughs> going to go hit the sheets, you know, take take a rest. Anyway, we thank yeah. you as always for listening. As we mentioned, we're up on most podcast platforms and have social media feeds, so follow us there, share with your friends, rate and review, etc. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. <laughs> <laughs>